Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 98 with Robert Herjavac of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Goes, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. I'm so happy that you've decided to share your earbuds with me and uh, you're not going to regret it. Uh, You're in for an absolute treat uh, with today's guest. His name is Robert Herjavac, the one and only uh, shark from Shark Tank America. And uh, wow, he shares a truck ton of gold. And I know I always say this, but you know, we do try so hard to give you guys as much gold as possible and give you the best possible episodes and find the best possible founders and entrepreneurs around the planet that we can feature just for you. And uh, we really, really have delivered with this one. Uh, Robert uh, was very, very kind with his time. I had a fantastic conversation with him and we talk everything from pitching, selling, um what he looks for when he's investing, how to build a successful business. We actually go back to the backstory of how he became a super successful entrepreneur. And this is a story that I haven't really heard him tell before. So massive fan of what Robert's doing. I love watching Shark Tank and I felt very, very privileged to speak to Robert. And he also has a new book out at the moment called You Don't Have to Be a Shark. And, uh, he goes through in depth what you need to do to sell yourself successfully. And uh, he talks a little bit about this in today's episode, which is really, really, really interesting because I know uh, some of you guys, you know, 
you might not be comfortable with selling to people. People don't like to be sold to. And uh, Robert is a super humble guy, super genuine, and just an absolute superstar entrepreneur. All right, guys, so you're in for a treat. Now let's jump into the show. So the first question that I ask everyone that uh, comes on is, how did you get your job? Uh, You mean my first job in computers or how we started the company? Just the work you're doing today. So I was originally in the film business. I produced the Winter Olympics for Canada in 1984, and which sounds really impressive. <laughs> and it was, but my head became so big, I thought I was going to move to Hollywood and become a big director, and then I couldn't get a job. I was living in Toronto, and my roommate had a degree in computer science and business, and I have a degree in classical English literature. And so I'm crying over the fact that I had this big gig and I can't get a job. And he's crying because he went for an interview at this computer company and he didn't think he got it. And it was the guy who ran IBM Canada and he was starting a company and he had the first employee. And so I said, blah, 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 who cares about computers? But he told me the starting salary and I was like, oh my God, that's so much money. And it was like $20,000. So I called the guy up and talked my way into the job. And I've been in the computer business since I was 20 years old. Yeah, wow. So tell us about uh, your first company, BRAC Systems, because you've been doing your your main focus in the technology companies you build is internet security, right? It is. But, you know, back then, security was around IBM mainframes. And so I started out with IBM mainframes, things called terminal emulators, switches, muxes, that kind of stuff. And then my first company did the first firewall in North America, and we just sold products, added some services to it, that kind of thing. I see. And how did that company start? How did you build it up and then ended up selling it to AT&T? Can you walk us through, take us back the early days? Yeah, I started it because I ended up getting fired from a company I had started with somebody else, and they basically kicked me out, and I couldn't get a job in time, and I hadn't put up any money in that company. There was an investor, and they kind of kicked me out, and I was like, well, I don't want to, I hate this running a company thing. It's so risky. Look what happened. I got fired. Mm. So I'm going to go out and get a job, but I couldn't get a job in time to, you know, pay my mortgage. And so I sold a product and slowly just started the business and, you know, grew it over time. And what we did was we really went and built a brand again across Canada in the security space, built it up and then security became really hot and we sold it to AT&T. Yeah, I see. And uh, can you take us through the hard times uh, in the early days as a founder, um, building up that company? I'm sure it wasn't easy. But, you know, the, the hardest thing about that was we really, it took us a long time to get very comfortable with change. Because the thing with the computer business, especially security, it moves so quickly. And there's so much change. And every three years, I like to say that, the tech space eats its own young. And that's kind of really what happened to us is we, we found that 
the pace of change was really something that we had to long time to get used to. And the other thing was we were selling to large enterprise customers, but we were this small little company. And it took us a long time to get our heads around that and find a way to add value. And what we learned out of that is you don't have to be big. You just have to constantly add value and innovate. Mm, I see. And how did the sale to uh, AT&T come about? And And after that, is that how you became an investor? Security became, in the late 90s, early 2000s, all the carriers wanted to get into security because it was driving other sales. The problem with the telephone business was inevitably the margins were declining. So they wanted to get into other high-value services, which is how we got into, they bought us, and they just approached me. I knew that the market was becoming too hot because everybody I knew was making money off internet stocks except me. And so everybody was giving me all this internet advice and, you know, we were just trying to build a great business. And so AT&T called us up out of the blue, like many other carriers. And we, we just sold the business. Mm, I see. And, uh, back then when you sold that business, who, who got a good deal? Was it, uh, like how deals go down today in Shark Tank or, <laughs> yeah, I think we, um, I mean, I look at back on it and I, you know, I had this long talk with people I know like Mark Cuban and other people. And I always think, when is the right time to sell your business? When the money changes your life. And uh, back then, you know, we sold the business for $32 million, I think. And I didn't have any money. I mean, I was putting everything I made into growing the business and, you know, we were always rich on paper, but poor in cash, like many entrepreneurs when they start out. So getting 32 million in cash was going to alter my life, my kids' lives forever. And, you know, it was really hard. In fact, uh, I always treated it like my baby and I didn't want to sell it, but I'm really glad I did because it got me kind of to where we are today. I always think there's three reasons to sell your business. One is if the money you're getting will change your life, if you think the market you're in has peaked and if you don't want to do it anymore. And I wanted to do it. I thought the market had legs, but the money was so extraordinary back then. It really altered things for us. And so we sold it. Mm. Interesting. And and when you, you did a previous interview and you said that uh, one thing that you wish you had have done in the earlier days was, was dreamed bigger. What exactly did you mean by that, and, and why do you think this is important? Well, you know, I think it's kind of like we're talking about, we're now a global company. We compete in the U.S. We bought a company in the U.K. We compete there. I never imagined that. You know, I never imagined that we could do that. We didn't have that confidence to be able to scale to that level. And I think the beginning of any great journey is you kind of have to have an idea where you're going. And I grew up in Canada. All my businesses were in Canada. And so our vision was to be the biggest and the best company in Canada. And now my vision is to be the biggest and the best player in my space in the world. And I think, why can't I do that? And it's just a level of confidence. I, I wish I would have thought on a larger scale, it would have given me more 
growth and more incentive and a greater vision to start. Mm, I see. And you need to talk to so many super successful entrepreneurs. I'm curious, who, who do you learn from? Who, who are your mentors? I think I've always been really good. I don't think I have a mentor, but I think I've always had a great ability to absorb knowledge. I have a lot of respect for people who love what they do. And if I can learn from them, I, I don't have a very big ego when it comes to doing things better. If you're doing something better than I am, I am happy to take it from you and apply it to our business. So I learn from people all the time. And you're right. That's one of the great things about being on TV is you get to be and meet people who are ultra successful. I mean, the last person I really learned a lot from was Kevin Plank, the founder of Under Armour. Amazing story. Uh, yesterday, I had a great meeting with Norm Pattison, who started a company called Westwood One, where he consolidated all the radio stations across the U.S. I mean, it, to, to me, I'm, a, I'm always a student of learning and success and what makes people tick. I did an interview last night with Larry King, mm. and I found it fascinating. Like, I found it fascinating. In fact, halfway through the interview, he said to me, stop it. I'm interviewing you. You're not interviewing me. <laughs> but I couldn't help myself. I, you'll find this interesting. I said to him, Larry, of all the successful people you've interviewed your whole life, if you had to pick one word to describe them, what would it be? And he said, driven. And do you, do you believe you get your drive from where you've come from? Because I knew you grew up on a farm. You've come from nothing. Um, you said also that your father was a massive influence in your life. Yeah, I think I think my drive comes from, I think you're motivated either by fear, pain, or pleasure. And my motivation definitely comes from the avoidance of pain. Mark Cuban and I had this talk on the show one time, and he used to say, you know, when he was 12 years old, he knew he wanted to be ultra wealthy. And I always admire that for him to have that level of vision because when I was 12 years old, I just didn't want to be poor. Mm. What I've had to learn along the journey is, you know, at one point, you're not poor anymore. You, you can get by. You don't have to worry about making a paycheck or paying your rent. And now, you know, we try to shift into the pleasure part of it, which is building a great brand and building a sustainable business. I'm curious, you, you've um, often told a story about how um, your mom, and this is a good segue into your book, your new book, uh, You Don't Have to Be a Shark, just come out. Um, you once, uh, I've heard you talk about that uh, your mom was sold a vacuum cleaner uh, for $500 when you were a kid, and that was seven weeks' salary. Why, why do you refer to that story? I think it was really prolific for me because... It taught me so many things about sales, good and bad, and really understanding the language of business. I mean, some salesmen took advantage of my mom because we didn't know any better. And I think it really hit home for me. I mean, it was really traumatic because we couldn't afford it. My dad was trying to save money for, you know, buying a house. And here we are, seven-week salary. And so vacuum cleaner, I mean, it was crazy. And it really upset them. But for me, it was really a epiphany. If you don't understand the language of business, if you don't know how things work, 
And if you can't make a certain amount of money in North America, you're going to take advantage of. And to me, it's being taken advantage of. And I realized I better go out and make something of myself and make a certain amount of money to take care of the people that I love. I don't. Who wants to be taken advantage of? And yeah, look, um, I'm, I'm sure there's many stories uh, like this where sales guys they just yeah they're just sharks. So, can you tell us about your new book? Um, you don't have to be a shark. Yeah, it's. I talked to. Uh, did you ever read a book called How to Swim with the Sharks and Survive? No, I haven't. It was written by a guy named Harvey McKay. So he, you know, I read his book when I was a young kid. And uh, Larry King put me in touch with him yesterday because I always wanted to meet him. And it's interesting, you know, the purpose of the book is you don't have to be a shark, but you have to learn how to swim with them. And it really comes down to sales. You've got to learn sales. Sales is everything in life. If you can't sell yourself, you're going to have a hard time getting ahead. Because in seven years of doing Shark Tank, that's the one thing we've really learned is people are deathly afraid of sales. They're afraid of rejection. They, they just think they can't do it. They think they have to be that vacuum cleaner salesman guy, you know, pushy or sleazy or lying or whatever the case might be. And, you know, I wrote the book just so anybody can learn sales and you don't have to be that in order to do sales mm, because i think um generally when when you when you're selling sometimes it can or if you the thought of selling to people people don't want to be sold to so it can feel kind of like like a negative feeling or you know something that's holding you back um how did you get over that fear of selling just by doing it wrong i think that everything i've learned i've done wrong learn from it and did better the next time. For me, the hardest thing about sales was rejection. Because people in sales say no a lot to you. And you go through this phase where you think, oh my gosh, it's me. But you realize sometimes the product just doesn't fit or it's not the right opportunity. And I learned that the best way to do sales is to try to qualify and not waste your time. What are some practical tips for for being a good salesperson, not being a shark? I think the first thing is you've got to listen more than you talk. That's the big one. People think you have to – people don't want to be sold today. They want to be educated. The other one is I, before I teach you to sell, I have to teach you who to sell to. Qualify. Always try to qualify who the right prospect is. The third one is motivation. You got to understand what motivates the other side in anything. When people come on our show, they always tell us how good their business is. They tell us how they're going to make money, how the business is going to make money. But then they don't tell us, the investors, how we're going to make money. You always got to understand what the other side wants out of it. And then, you know, the, the final point I would say is make it simple. People get bombarded with information all day long. They don't want big, long, complex stories. They want it to be simple. Have your value proposition down to a few key critical words that you can say in 30 seconds or a minute. Mm, I see. And when it comes to the companies that you invest in on Shark Tank, what do you look for? What, what do you do to qualify those people? 
Well, we don't get to qualify them. That's the first thing. You know, we know nothing about them. On our show, things get edited into uh, about seven to eight minutes when you watch the show on TV. But in reality, the average pitch is in front of us for over two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, sorry. The average pitch is an hour. The longest pitch was two and a half. The shortest was 40 minutes. And we know nothing about them. And when I say nothing, we don't even know their name. They come out and we just ask questions. And so you've really got to, you don't get a chance to qualify them, but you get to learn a lot. And what I've learned after seven seasons is always invest in the operator. A great entrepreneur who really believes in what they're doing can make an so-so product great. And a bad entrepreneur can even take the best product and make it really bad and ruin it. And so I try to look in always in the operator, bet on the, you know, we always say bet on the jockey, not the horse. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, now that you visit, uh, you mentioned to me, you visit Australia a lot. Uh, you would know that, uh, uh horse racing is really big here. It's huge. <laughs> Another thing I learned is Kim and I, Kim and I went to the Kentucky Derby mm. and the custom at the Kentucky Derby is people, women, wear these big hats. But Kim wore a crown because in Australia, the women wear crowns to the derby, which I didn't know. Yeah, I, I can't really comment on that, Robert, because I don't really pay much attention to the female fashion, but it's really <laughs> big. It is massive. Like we have like spring carnivals, one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, it's it's great. I had a great time. Mm. So when it comes to, you said you, you invest in, in the person more than, than the product or the service or the idea. What sort of qualities do that, does that person usually have? That, is there any rules that you stand by when you're investing in, in that person? You know, I think that the big thing that I always look for is the ability of that person to sell themselves. I mean, I think if you can't sell me on you, you're going to have a hard time selling a product or anything else. And so it's funny because we usually make up our mind on somebody in the first couple of minutes and everything that happens after that either supports that opinion that we've already prejudiced ourselves against or something extraordinary has to happen for us to change our mind. And so it's, you know, how people come out, how they speak, the cadence of their voice, how confident they are. And then it all kind of leads from there. You know, someone's really confident and, you know, humble and they don't know their numbers. We're going to help them. Somebody comes out and they're cocky, arrogant, and they don't know their numbers. We hate them. And we see that on the show all the time. I I actually uh, saw somebody that like a mutual friend I saw was on um, a recent episode and and uh, it was it was kind of funny, but I, I don't know how much of it is drama and how much of it is real. Uh, his name is Manish Sethi from Pavlock. Like, um, I don't know, like it, it, it looked like it was a pretty, uh, like a lot of drama with, with that episode. Like, did you guys really dislike him or? What, what was his product? It sounds familiar. Yeah, it was um, the, the watch that shocks you, tra- tra- trains the habits. And he said to um, Kevin, oh, like yeah. I, saw, I saw the snippet of, yeah. yeah we, he just rubbed us the wrong way. You know, we're pretty opinionated. We sit there 12 hours a day. We're cold. We're hungry. We're miserable because we all have big businesses to run. You got to stand out. And I remember him. He was, 
he had a very controversial product, and I think Mark really didn't believe in it. He had a massive valuation. And so that always makes us skeptical. You know, when you come out, I think it was like $15 million. Mm. He had very little in sales, but he thought his company was worth $15 million. And so we're very, we get our backs up against that because we always think, are you just there to try to take advantage of the show? You know, get some free publicity. Because you don't have to close the deal once you make it or just by getting on the show. And we're not. I mean, I'm not there to waste my time. I'm not there to be a TV star. What people don't realize about us is we're not TV reality stars. We're business people that happen to be on TV. And some of it is drama, for sure. But at the end of the day, we're trying to make real investments and make real money. And I'm curious, um, of all the investments you've made in the past seven seasons, do most of them turn out or, or how do they end up? Most of mine turn out. I'm pretty careful about investing in the right person and the right idea. I've never had one go away. I've never had one go bankrupt. I've had a couple close down, but we've had a return on our investment on it. I have a couple that are struggling that I worry about. But, you know, like I always say, I've never had one fail, but I've got a couple of life support. But overall, you know, I think we have about a 12.8% return. So that's pretty good. Yeah, wow. And I'm curious, the ones that are struggling, why is that? I would say if I had to pick a commonality, it's adaptability. Great business founders have the ability to see the wall before you hit it. And they adjust. Like I always look at one of my best investments is a company called Tipsy Elves. If we would have stayed just doing their original product and their only product was inappropriate, ugly Christmas sweaters. If that's all we still did today, mm. we would be in trouble. But they expanded. Now we make, you know, ugly college sweaters and we make 4th of July t-shirts and they make ski onesies and stuff like that. I think that, that's what founders do. You know, great founders have the ability to zig and zag. They're adaptable. So is, is that what you're kind of doing with, with uh, the Herjavec group right now? Um, you mentioned to me around how you're taking the brand global. You've just set up an office in uh, Sydney. Are you always, how many years are you thinking ahead? Do you set goals and work your way backwards? I've, I've been told uh, many multimillionaires they, and billionaires, they think like years and years and years ahead and they actually trace their step backwards. Is that how it works for you? Not really. I mean, I think we have a long-term vision, but <laughs> in tech, long-term is three years. Somebody once asked me, they said, what's your five-year plan? And I was like, Oh my God, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. So we have a three-year vision, but we try to be focused on execution on a quarterly basis. I think it's important to know where you're going, but in tech, it's, it can be difficult. So we, we have a short-term vision and a long-term goal. Mm, I see. And uh, what is your long-term goal for Herjavec Group? Well, I think we, uh, we believe that the cybersecurity market continues to grow. We see it going through a phase of hyper growth. And so we know the fundamentals in our industry are good. We know that we're positioned well. And at this point, we're actually the largest privately held company in our space in the world. And we're competing with IBM and massive, massive companies. 
So that's really good. It's really good when you compete against really big people. And you have an extremely fast growth rate. Uh, what is fueling that growth, do you think, besides having you know great product, great service? Well, I think the first one is you got to be in the right market. It's very difficult to grow outside of the growth of your market. Mm. And then what else? Because there would be, like you said, like how do you compete against these big players? Well, I, you've got to add more value. I think that's the first thing is we try to be more flexible, add more value, have a competitive value proposition. It's, you know, I always, I try not to compete on price against larger players in our space because we sell to large companies. We're selling them security and security is a high touch, high value proposition. I, I always think people want more security than a lower price necessarily, mm. but you can't just charge more money. You have to add more value. I see. And, and what else is fueling the growth? Our dogged determination. We really like to win. We look at the world now and we think somebody is going to take advantage of this space. Why can it not be us? Mm, I see. And how do you breed that kind of dogged determination and culture in your company? Because that's not easy. It's funny. It took us a long time to figure out what we're good at and what we're not good at. And I think that's one of the things that we are really good at is we know what works for us. We like to grow. We're very competitive and we've always been like that. And we try to find people who like to compete in our industry. If you don't like to compete, you're going to have a really hard time. And so what we've learned over the years is we tend to do well when we hire people for their character as opposed to their experience. When we hire people for their experience and they don't fit in with us, culture is the hardest thing to hire for. And now we hire people for culture. So we have a lot of former athletes. We have uh, some former Olympians. Well, you're never a former Olympian, as I'm told. You're always an Olympian. We have Olympians on our team, that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, I see. And um, I'm curious around leadership. This is something that I'm actually going through now in my company um, because we're starting to hire a lot of staff and it's difficult. And uh, I know many of our audience are going through this transition now from founder to CEO. I'm curious, what advice would you have for people that are scaling up, are hiring, uh, are a first-time CEO? What, what lessons would you uh, give? In terms of growing quickly? Yeah, in terms of growing quickly and managing and leading people, because it's, it's very difficult, uh, especially when you're first-time CEO. You know, I think it's really hard, but you've got to look at in terms of creating a, a greater team. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're small, get very frustrated with that and think, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard entrepreneurs say that the best business is a business without employees or you know, the best employee they have is themselves or that kind of stuff. And I've never really thought of that. I've struggled with hiring people, but I've always seen it as an integral part of growing and getting scale. And as you grow your business, your greatest quality has to become the ability to build the people around you and get everybody pointed in the same direction. Mm, I see. And, and, and how do you get people to do their best work? Well, first of all, you have to hire people that want to do their best work. 
and you have to have a common goal and you have to lead people. I think people today want to be led as opposed to managed. So I think you're just, you've got to be constantly giving them the direction, motivating them, and you've got to be the, the top salesperson in your, in your company. People want to be led with vision and, and passion and purpose. Nobody wants to go to work and say, oh, it's just a job. Even though it may be just a job, they don't want to feel that way. Mm, yeah, I see. Just a few more questions for you. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, when it comes to Shark Tank and, and pitching, do you have uh, just some, you know, a couple of pointers and advice for people that are going out and pitching their product or service? couple of things. One is never forget the first thing you're selling is yourself. Make it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Have a value proposition that's easy to explain, but understand the motivation of the people that you're pitching to. You know, we went to Silicon Valley last week because mm. uh, we're thinking about maybe bringing in some investors, that kind of stuff. And one of the things we did is we always try to understand what the exit plan is and what the motivation is for the other side. Mm, yeah, what's in it for them? How can they get a return? Yeah, because everybody's got to be on the same page. The mistake that people make is they try to bring an investor in, and that investor's goal is not equal to theirs. They may want to grow the business, keep it for five years, and somebody just wants to come in for a quick return. Mm. So I'm curious. Um, you said you went to uh, Silicon Valley. Is this to raise capital for Herjavec Group? Yeah, just to talk to various people, see what's happening in the Valley. It's always good to uh, be in front of a lot of people. Yeah, really, that's interesting. So, so what's that like? As like you know, um, I guess um, a TV personality and and a known shark on Shark Tank, you know, a hit TV series, and you know, very well known entrepreneur um, to speak to to some of these guys in Silicon Valley. Well, there's you know, the thing about being a shark is there's always a bigger shark in the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're meeting with some of the biggest VC companies in the world. They're not sharks, they're whales. And I don't care how good a shark you are, a whale can squash you without even uh, thinking about it. Mm, that's a great attitude to have. Awesome. Well, look, two more questions. One, do you believe that you always need to raise capital to build a successful business? No. I don't believe that at all, but I think you have to have access to cash when the business needs it. That might be a line of credit, that might be your credit cards, but cash is the lifeblood of your business. So if you're not going to raise capital, you better have a really great relationship with your bank in terms of a line of credit. And I think the only time you should bring an investor in is to help you grow faster. Mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as an owner and a founder of a small business, your biggest payback is equity. Try to hang on to it as much as you can for as long as you can. Mm, that's great advice. And also, um, when it comes to you know growing a company, running it, when do you know when to give up and when do you know when to keep going? Do you ever give up? Absolutely, you should give up when you're not growing. I mean, I think in our world, it's really easy. You either grow or you die. We don't have a choice. So if we don't grow we're moving backwards and we're going out of business is how we look at it. There was a great saying by Andy Grove, the guy who ran Intel, only the paranoid survive. 
And I'm not sure that applies just to technology. I think it applies to everything. And we're very paranoid. But, you know, sometimes when the business, if your market's dying and people are eating away your market share and you don't want to do it anymore, there's nothing wrong with giving up and starting again. But I've never done that. I've always been able to adjust to changing markets. Mm, awesome. All right. Well, look, um, last question, and that's uh, where's the best place uh, people can purchase uh, your new book on how to be, I guess, a good sales guy without coming off sleazy and, and how to sell yourself without being a shark? Online, Amazon, and any store in uh, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Robert. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.